One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, Richard Skinner of Faber Academy on writing a novel. Richard Skinner is a novelist, poet and critic. His most recent book, The Mirror, was described as beautifully written, immersive and captivating by The Guardian. As director of the fiction programme at Faber Academy, he created the flagship writing a novel six-month course in 2009 and since then has helped hundreds of writers find their voice. And as an extension to that, he's now the author of Writing a Novel, Bringing Your Ideas to Life, the Faber Academy way, which we're going to talk about. Richard, welcome to Little Atoms. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So tell us what the idea behind the book is, first of all. Yeah, so so the idea behind the book is that uh, we've been running the course uh, very successfully for nine years now and um, Faber and I were chatting for a long time about putting what goes on in the course or, or some of what goes on on the, on the course into a book of some kind and um, here we are it's it's finally out but it, it's it's been a long time coming we, we sort of first mooted it um, about five or six years ago but it's just it just takes time for books to come out for me to put it all together uh, yeah, so uh, I think it looks great. Faber have done a great job on the cover. It's all very sparkly. It's very nice. It's doing very well, which is great. So, uh, yeah, I'm very happy. And the, the course started in 2009. How has the whole sort of genre of creative writing changed in that time? You know, there's often, every now and then, every couple of years, there'll be a think piece in one of the broadsheets about... Um, the creative writing course novel is ruining literature sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a very boring debate now. Um, I think the argument's been one that creative writing courses are just as valid for writers as studying music or studying art is for musicians or painters. You know, why shouldn't you go and study writing in the same way that you study painting and, and uh, music? And, um, yeah, the, the other part of your question is interesting because there is this criticism of creative writing courses that they produce homogenized novels, you know, the same amount of sort of incident and conflict and characterization. But I reject that because what we do at Faber Academy is it's not a prescriptive course. You know, we, do, we don't say, right, you have to do this or this in order for your novel to be workable or um, readable. What we say is write the novel that you want to write that's inside you, that's in your heart, in your soul, in your gut. And we will try and provide the space and the time, the structure, the guidance and the support to do that. But it's really up to them what they do. It's it's not up to us to drill into them, you know, how to write a novel. It's it's really, we're trying to release a fountain 
of them. And I think that's backed up by the really very wide range of novels that, that Faber Academy people have published, you know, everything from very literary to very, very commercial. So, you know, we, we don't sort of say that here's the model, you've got to fit this model and then you'll be published. We say, write what's in your heart and we'll help you. So what sort of person signs up for, I'm particularly thinking of the six-month course here, because it's not, it's not something you can just write a cheque for and turn up. You do have to apply and be accepted. Oh, absolutely. No, we... we um, ask for a letter and a thousand words of your prose it can be anything it can be any thousand words and the letter is is very revealing as well everyone thinks that the thousand words is is the thing but actually the letter too is is very revealing it's very competitive now because of our success and um, because of a lot of we've had a lot of publicity in the last year or so the kinds of people who apply are well all sorts you know everything from recent graduates to people who've just retired. But are um, they generally people that have got something already to bring to it? Uh, like have, they sta- have they started a novel and are, mostly, and are stuck? Yeah, mostly. But we, we say to people, you know, you, you don't have to have written, you know, a lot of a novel. You don't even have to have started a novel. Maybe most people come with um, an idea for a novel and they use the course to kickstart that novel so people come to the course for different reasons and everyone in the class is in a different place when they arrive and they're in a very different place when they leave as well the point is not what everyone else is doing it's obviously what you're doing and and how you've benefited from the course hopefully and you know where you are and how confident you feel about your your book by the end that's the most important thing rather than word count or finishing a draft or whatever so we're going to go through some of the chapters of the book some of the themes you look at that would be taught on the course but before we do that like you just mentioned that this is not a it's not a prescriptive course but let's perhaps talk about what are some things that you can't teach prospective novelists that's a great question and i talk about that in in the introduction actually um one thing i i think that we can't teach and we shouldn't teach even if we could is is this idea of you know style or voice so you know everyone has their own way of writing they have their own timbre or tone you know a register and we can't teach that that's that's to do with your personality to do with the very core of your your being but what we can do on the course is look at story and structure how best to tell your story what kind of story do you want to tell and how best to tell it and the way in which you tell it in terms of style that's your concern. We can't test or model or mould that, but we can look at story and what makes a good story, what drives a story forward, what do readers look for in a story, you know, those kinds of things. And those things can be learned, they can be tested, they can be played with. But someone's style at the end of the day just comes about through confidence, practice, belief, hard work, you know, all, all those things. Uh, it can't be taught, it can only be earned. And I think any creative writing course that claims to be able to do that you know frankly they're they're charlatans so the story then this is the the first aspect we're going to look at and i mean it might seem a pretty obvious thing to say but the story is central here isn't it yes i mean i i think it is you know that's debatable what i would say is that a story is something that is kind of overlooked rather surprisingly that that might sound very weird but it's it's rather overlooked by a lot of new writers because a lot of new writers are, are trying to find their voice and they're they're trying to find expression you know because writing is is a fulfillment of personality or expression in some way 
But I think one, one of the things we're hot on at the Academy is that that's great, but you've got to hang that on something that's going to be appealing and interesting and accessible to, to readers. So, you know, a novel isn't just a stage where you just actualize yourself. You're trying to tell a story as well that, that people are going to relate to and be moved by and, and uh, understand. So, yeah, story is all important. I mean, not, not every great novel has to have a great storyline in, in terms of you know, thrust and drive, but I think every great novel is a great story. There's some exercises in the book that look at, you know, the very beginning of this process, how writers come up with ideas. Again, let's talk about that. Where did these ideas come from? Another great question, because, yeah, I, uh, as you you know that I talk a lot about this and, and it's kind of it's the, the first thing to happen in a way, I think. You know, great ideas for novels. We all have them, don't we? You know, we all think, oh, that would be a great idea for a novel. And, oh, yeah, that, that would be a great story. But really, would it, you know, do you kind of have to test it in your head, make sure that it really does have legs to, to turn itself into a novel. And I think the way of finding out whether your idea is, is a good one for a novel is, is to really um, look very particularly at what you read, first of all. Um, one of the, the things in the book, one of the exercises in the book is to just make a list of some favourite novels and almost always there's some kind of common theme running through those novels um, and it's something that we do at the Academy both on a, a one-day course we do called Start to Write and also on, in one of the first weeks of writing a novel, the six-month course, just make a list of, of your favourite novels and have a look. Think about them. What, what's the thing in common? And there's always something in common, you know, because you are the common link. So there's got to be. And sometimes it takes some people a little time to work out what that is. But when you do find out what that is, it's a very powerful discovery. And the point of the exercise is, you know, when I say, well, perhaps that's what you should be writing about. If that theme uh, running through the novels, all of the novels that you love so much, it's, it obviously touches you. So it's got to be something you want to write about. And I guess that's presuming that all of these people can put together a, a list of 10 favourite novels. How important, Richard, is reading? Absolutely important. You know, it's, I think it's the most important thing for a writer to do, even more than writing. <laughs> you know, it's just read, 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 be influenced, be challenged, be expanded, be inspired and all books start from books that you've read you know all books written start from books that you've read I think and one of the other parallel points to you know where do ideas come from is this idea of you know what do you want to say what are you trying to say with this novel and I mean obviously on, on this show we cover a lot of you know literary fiction where it's like you know it's 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 reasonably obvious that this is a story that happens to also be about something else. I don't know, what is Dan Brown or whatever trying to say? <laughs> well, you know, I've got enormous respect for Dan Brown. He's, he sells a lot of books. He's, uh, he's sold a lot of books, and that's difficult to do. Uh, but what I'm trying to get at, are we always trying to say something, is I guess the point. I think so, deep down. You know, even, even Dan Brown, I think, must be trying to say something. I mean, you know, why write unless you feel compelled to say something, to share an, an opinion, a thought, or express, express yourself? But obviously there's, there's a sort of a, you know, a difference between highly commercial fiction like, like Dan Brown and, you know, someone like Henry James or Proust or someone like that. Um, obviously they're very different 
And, you know, I often think of, I think of Hemingway and Proust as, as very interesting writers to think about on this issue because they were both alive at the same time and living in the same city, Paris, but they were writing very, very different kind of fiction and they were coming from completely different places in the world and schools of thinking and they are the north and south pole of writing in a way and I think we all fit in somewhere between them but you know you have Hemingway on, on the one side uh, you know of whom Dan Brown is definitely a disciple you know very very driven very fast very declarative sentences uh, it's, it's all just dialogue and action then you've got Proust it's, it's, it's very sort of interior and very descriptive it just depends what kind of sensibility you have as a writer you know whether you want to write something that's that's very um beautiful and and um very you know poetic or, or whether you want to kind of just concentrate on action and and you know pushing something forward uh, and there's room for everyone so we've got an idea i've come to you with an idea for a novel it's a great captivating story i don't know about you know a middle-aged podcaster who for some reason also happens to work as a government spy and is inexplicably attractive to women um <laughs> now i've got the story and it's you know it's, it's it's obviously going to be a bestseller but there's more to just the story we need to certainly structure it first of all so how do we put a loose structure on this story that's first of all it's not going to finish too quickly but also you know my maverick podcaster spy his character is going to develop over the course of the novel how do we sort of structure that? Well, I think you sort of think you've got to think about it in two ways, sort of on the, on the macro level, on the micro level. So on the macro level, I would say you should start thinking about structure, scenes. Just write uh, on a piece of paper the numbers 1 to 30 and, and right next to each number your story's main events. You know, sounds like a very simple thing to do, but my God, it's illuminating and a powerful exercise to do much more difficult than you think it'll be you know so what's the overall architecture of it do you, do you have an ending uh, it doesn't matter if you don't but I think you should roughly know where it's going you know you should probably know a half a dozen key events along the way you can fill in the, the details as you go and then on the micro level you've you've got to sort of um, think about scenes where are people what's happening who's interacting why what do they want who's stopping them from getting it and what do they say to each other? And just working from the bottom up, just putting people in a room and getting them talking, that's very difficult to do. But it's, it's the bread and butter of, of, of novel writing is, is scenes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Richard Skinner. We're talking about his book, Writing a Novel. And Richard, we've put together a ridiculous story and a tentative structure for it. Obviously, the events that happen in that story could happen in lots of different ways, in lots of different orders. We could go backwards and forwards in time, for instance, um, depending on how we want to structure it. So I want to talk about what the difference is between story and plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is something that I think uh, certainly I took a long time to understand. It's something that we we talk a lot about at Favorite Academy, and I think it's at the core of storytelling. Is so you know everyone knows the stories of, of Cinderella or Achilles or Hamlet. You know you you do and I do. But if we were both to go away and and uh, write our version of Cinderella or Achilles or, or Hamlet, obviously it would be wildly different. So that the story of those characters is the same. We we know the story of Cinderella and Achilles and Hamlet. But you and I would make a series of decisions about how best to tell that. You know, should should we start at the end and then flash back to the beginning and then you know arrive back at the end, or should we start in the middle of the story or should we start at the beginning? So I think you know one of the key things you have to do as a writer is is to make decisions about ordering how am i going to tell this what's the best way to tell this story do i want to make it into a thriller or a mystery or a drama you know what effects do i want to create and you can create different effects by ordering story events in different ways again it's to do with what we enjoy reading and the kinds of books that appeal to us and we usually want to emulate in our own writing the, the kind of books that we we love reading Let's talk about characters for a bit, because I want to talk about how to create a convincing character. And there's there's a couple of methods that you mentioned in the book, um, outside in versus inside out. So can you tell us what they are? Yeah, so this is something that I did um, a lot with my classmates when I, I did the UEA um, MA creative writing um, a while ago now. And we, we all had, you know, um, questionnaires 40 questions that we filled out for all of our characters and, um, you know, things like what what, what, what was their favourite colour, how did they vote, what secrets did they have, what pets did they keep, etc, etc. And that was great. And that's what I mean by outside in, you know, sort of just you're just looking at these characters from the outside into their lives. But really, I think you've got to do it in a different way if, if you're really going to grapple with great characters, which is to really get to know them from the inside out and, and to be able to see the world from their point of view, feel what they feel, know how they would react in any given situation. 
I know that sounds like an obvious thing to say and it, it sounds unfair of me to say that that's how it's got to be without giving any kind of concrete way of doing that. But the truth is there's no concrete way of doing that. The only way that you can really start seeing the story from your, your character's point of view is by entering into the story as fully as possible, you know, immersing it, committing to it, immersing yourself in it, just believing in yourself because you love, you want to write this story so much and and you love these characters so much and, and it will happen. You know, there's a sweet spot or a wormhole or a rabbit hole at some point that you can fall down uh, and enter the story via. And when you do that, the story will happen quite naturally, I believe. And as well as creating a, a character that seems convincing to the reader, obviously they also have to participate in this story. Let's talk about what's their motivation, as as they always say in Hollywood. There are things that are going to happen to the character, desires that they have, desires that may be thwarted along the way. Yeah, you know... I just think without characters wanting something and there's no story really you know if if your character is happy with his or her lot and doesn't feel any kind of lack or desire then there's no story frankly because there's no drive there's no conflict Um, so I think storytelling right the way back to Aristotle is all about putting characters who are not happy with what they've got and showering them with circumstance and putting them under pressure to first of all drive them towards what they want but also to stop them from getting what they want you know there's you as the author are in a very peculiar and particular situation where you're rooting for your main character to succeed but you're the one that's got to put obstacles in in their way from succeeding Um, and it's a very very peculiar thing to do you know but you've got to they can't achieve their success too easily and while neither can they you know not achieve anything at all Uh, well they can I mean Beckett's great example of that Beckett breaks all the rules of everything and none of his characters achieve anything in his any of his you know plays or or, or fiction but he's he's a one-off characters have got to want things and and it's your job to put them under pressure so the other thing we also have to choose for our story is which point of view it's going to be told from and there's a number of options here, obviously. Yeah, obviously, you know, first and third person, everyone's everyone's um, heard of, of that. You know, there's there's the more sort of omniscient narrator, which is the great Victorian model, um, you know, big eye in the sky, just, just sort of scanning its, its gaze across the whole of society. First person is great for very intimate uh, narratives, so confessional narratives or... or confidence tricks like Lolita, unreliable narration, you know, and, and it's it's wonderful to write in the first person because you're free. You're, you you have no constraints, I find anyway. You can you can just say or do whatever you like. You have to you have to be in the frame of mind of the main character, obviously. I wrote um a book called The Velvet Gentleman from the point of view of Eric Satie, uh, uh, the French composer, and I had such fun writing that book because I just you know, once I got his voice and his humour, I had a field day with him. But if you want to write something that's got a bit more scope, you know, and a bit more bit more scale, something that like the third person is much better because you can move around, uh, you can move point of view between different people and get a sort of, you know, kaleidoscopic view of, of the same event. Richard Price's book Freedomland, which was made into a movie uh, quite a while ago now, but that's a wonderful novel. Um, it's about a, the abduction of a of a baby uh, in New York, 
and it's told from lots of different points of view but it's it's all these different points of view on this one act and gradually the, the truth unfolds about what happened to the baby and you know you just couldn't do that in a first person narrative so again it depends what kind of book you want to write what kind of effect you want to achieve but you can select the kinds of tools and techniques that are available to you as a writer in order to write the kind of book you want to write. There's another familiar aphorism here, which I must admit I've never really understood myself until I read your book. Tell us what we actually mean when we say show, don't tell. (laughs) The old chestnut. Uh, Yeah, it's unfortunately, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason because it is an aphorism which really gets to the heart of... I think, uh, you know, what what good storytelling is. So I'm sure most people understand what that means. But going deeper into that idea is the idea that new writers often struggle to have the confidence to let the story and the characters speak for themselves. That's basically what it is, is that new writers, they underestimate the reader and they feel that they need to bring in a spokesperson into the text to explain or clarify or to reassure or emphasise to the reader what was apparent in the unfolding of the story naturally anyway. So, you know, if, if two people have a fight, you know, and then the narrator says they fought bitterly and one of them went to the, their room or something, you know, we know that. We've just seen it. We don't need to be told by the narrator that that was the case. It's usually a sign of unconfidence, but it's the easiest trap for us all to fall in, believe you me, you know, all the way from new writers at the Academy to me to Ian McEwan, we all do it. Uh, And that's what first readers and writing groups and creative writing courses are for, is is to to show you and and to teach you that that's, that's the case when it happens. But it's, it's hard to escape. It's like a black hole. It's very hard to escape. Uh, when you shake it off, it feels great because, again, it's it's all to do with the story. And and if you're if you're showing and not telling, it means that you're in the zone correctly and you're you're enjoying the writing and you, and you you feel confident about your story and it's just flowing naturally out of you without any kind of third party butting in and and you know clarifying to the reader what's going on. We need a setting for our story. And I want to talk about setting um, with particular reference to the historical novel, which, you know, is a novel like any other, but there are certain particularities to writing historical fiction. Yeah, so um, setting is, is one of those things, as, as a teacher, I've, I've come to realise is really special uh, and it's it's really overlooked. And, and I think if, if you do it well, it can really make or break a, a novel. So in the book, I talk a lot about Wuthering Heights as, um, you know, a book, probably the ultimate book for me in terms of, you know, um, marrying or fusing its characters with its setting. I mean, I, I always talk about the main character, Heathcliff. He's Heathcliff. He is the setting. You know, he doesn't even have a name. He's named after the landscape. And I think Cathy and Heathcliff are really indivisible from the setting in, in that book. And I think setting is, you know, is, is worth thinking about differently from, from the, the usual way. I think the usual way, which is, you know, sort of Jane Austen and, and all the way up to from Jane Austen to Thomas Hardy is that, you, you, you know, you see a country house. 
you have it described to you how big is it what color are the bricks you know how many windows does it have but i think you know in in the 20th and and now in this century i think you know we we need to think about setting in a slightly different way i think it's more about um as a zone of feeling you know what what do these places mean for characters what effect have they had on them how do they connect with them you know i think it's 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 a question of fusing character with setting as as much as possible so i think of camus the outsider is another great novel that does that you know there's a scene where he's on the beach and he's about to kill the arab and this this moment is described all through landscape you know the the sunlight are like needles pricking his skin and the sun itself is like a clash of symbols and the waves are like fire rolling in and it's fantastic. Just one more question then. So I've sweated over mums and I've finished the first draft of my fantastic novel. I guess I could just send it off to publishing stuff now, can't I? Uh, well, I would try and get an agent first. That's that's the best thing to do. I mean, even before that, um, you know, if if you've written a novel which you think is really great, I think you need to to give it to some other people to read first. That's what we do on the course. You know, we we do that week in week out, and you learn a lot from having your your work read and also reading other people's work week in week out. But you know, if if you belong to a writing group or a library writing group, or if you've got a little group of friends, a book club, or something like that, just show your work to other people and and get some feedback first before you do anything. Don't show it to your mum. Don't show it to your your wife or husband. You know, just share it and see what the response is, and and uh, act on their feedback, and just keep doing that until you really can't see where else to work on it, and you just have no more clue what the hell to do with it, and then you might be ready to show it to you know a professional, whether it's a, a reading service or an agency or, or but publication and publishers come later. Uh, you know, you have to sort of go through the agency uh, process first and get an agent and then they send on your work to to a publisher. Well, even before that, I did say first draft. And you mentioned (laughs) in the book that, you know, books aren't necessarily written, they are rewritten. Yeah. Yeah, editing for me is is the best part of the whole writing process. First drafts are are just horrendous. They're just awful. There's so much doubt and and, uh, uncertainty and confusion and you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of running with this thing it's like being on a horse trying to escape the tide you know you just but that's good you just got to get it down get it down get it down you know keep going don't stop until you get it done and then once you've got a first draft then you can really heave a huge sigh of relief and have a look at what you've got and then the fun really starts so i've been talking to richard skinner we've been talking about his book writing a novel bring your ideas to life the faber academy way richard thank you so much for coming in and sharing it with us cheers thanks very much This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by me, Neil Denny, and was first broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. Little Atoms is supported by 89Up, and the podcast is hosted by Acast. Find us on iTunes, and if you like the show, please do leave us a review. You can find old interviews, new journalism and more on our website, littleatoms.com. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 